Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 103 now of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, my name is Scroobius Pip. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, this week's guest is Tom Rosenthal, and he's fantastic. But I'll tell you right up the front now, because some people, sometimes I have people comment if it's a particularly long intro. This is going to be a long intro, but it's going to be full of good stuff. It's not full of like adverts and stuff like that. It's information and stuff I want to talk to you about. Partly because I've got a lot to catch you up on, and partly because this podcast was a short one. <laughs> Tom Rosenthal is fantastic. Um, he's in in Friday Night Dinner, and he's a great stand-up and wonderful human. And we grabbed a room um, to chat to him at Channel 4, but we didn't have a lot of time. And it, and the room was, was booked after us, so it was a bit of a quick... Let, so, I mean, we still got f- 45 minutes that's still longer than anyone interviewed him that day. He had a load of interviews that morning. They're all like two, three minute ones. But we squeezed this in. But yeah, there's loads of things I want to talk to you about. I made a list. Or well, first of all, I should mention the reaction to the, the most recent drunk podcasts. Good Lord. It, I'm almost ashamed at how well they've gone down because it's me and four mates just drinking and acting like idiots. And the fourth episode, which... I, I I'd I'd said up front. I think has got the possibly the best ending of any of the the distraction pieces podcast that we've done. But other than that, it is us being drunk idiots. Um, that is now the most has had the most downloads on day one of any podcast we've done. So um, yeah, that's weird. I mean, we've had some great people on, and the ones that go down the best. Are, me and my two drunk loser mates anyway it's all good fun so thank you for enjoying them but what i need to tell you about is i've done tons of announcements on the book tour a lot of people know that while i've been doing this podcast and while i've been doing acting and while i've been working on a new record i've been off from touring and there's parts of it i miss and parts of it i don't miss but the part i do miss is is getting around the country and 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 meeting all you lot because anyone who's come to to see me live over the eight, nine years of doing a hundred plus shows a year, um, will know that I've always run my own merch booth, even when we're at venues, you know, on our last tour, the London was 2000 cap, two and a half thousand cap. And we did two nights in a row there. And God damn, I stayed on that merch booth until all of you that wanted to come and hang out, came and hung out and bought stuff. There's, there's, there's a financial a motive behind it as well i'm not a, a saint it wins it wins for both of us but so i've got this book coming out and they asked if i'd do a book tour and it's a weird one because i'm not doing any gigs or performances in, until i've got new material i'm adamant on that and frankly because i haven't done any in over a year now i'm i'm not up to it at the moment you know i pride myself on being this is going to sound arrogant but good live or as good as i can be live and right now I'm not practiced. I'm not. I'm not as good as I could be live. So anyway, but regardless of that, I'm, I'm not doing any gigs, and I didn't want to just do like a books a book signing tour because I ain't I ain't Katie Price, you know, uh, and and that's not a diss to to Katie Price who'll have people queuing around the block to get her book signed. I'll have a few a few blokes with beards just turning up to to come and get a signature. So I wanted to look into it. So I thought. What I could do, I can't do readings because the book, I've not even mentioned the book, it's the Distraction Pieces p- podcast book and this is the first time I'm talking about it with it being f- finished and my word, I'm so proud of it. I didn't really realise what we were putting together here and it's so much better 
than I could have hoped it would be. And again, that's not an arrogance thing because the fact is it's better because of all the contributions, because of all the people I talk to. So the way we've done the book, it's not just highlights of the podcast. That's what um, Amazon describe it as. And it's more than that. Um, it is segments and outtakes from the podcast, but what we've done is chosen t- topics that come up repeatedly and taken different people's views and opinions on them and, and, and put them in sections. So there's a section on race where you'll hear the views and opinions of Akala, of Killer Mike, of Saul, Saul Williams, of Riz Ahmed, of some amazing people. In the politics section, you'll hear the opinions of Billy Bragg, of, of Russell Brand, of, of again, of, of Killer Mike, of so many good people. You'll get John Ronson and Amanda Palmer talking about social media in the social media section. So, yeah, it's 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 really exciting. But because of that, I can't really do readings from it. There's also I'm rambling now as as I tend to do. But there's also um, extra sections. So I've 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 written an intro to each section. I've written obviously an intro to, to, to the book, and at the end, I've written a section on how you can become a podcaster, breaking down all the kit that I use, all the platforms I use, and all this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's all very exciting, and there's artwork in there from Mister Heggy, who's anyone who's aware of Mister Heggy will be insanely excited about that. But yeah, I, I thought I can't do a readings because it would just be a weird a me reading my part and then doing an impression of the person that was a guest. So so what I decided was I'd do a tour of mini podcasts. Now three of them are going to be recorded, and they're in, in bigger venues, in bigger s- setups. The other the rest of them are just going to be essentially a live Q&A, but I'll invite you up to to sit with me. As we do at the, at the live podcast, you'll come up and you'll ask a question and we'll have a conversation. And then I'll do sign-ins and that as well. So um, let me quickly read the, the dates out to you um, and the locations because that's not out there too much yet. Yeah, so we're starting on August 3rd on my birthday in London, which I'm going to talk more about in a minute because that's the really special one and there's a lot of reasons you might want to attend that. Um, That's at the Leicester Square Theatre. And then we're going to Birmingham on Thursday the 4th of August. That's at Waterstones. And then we're going to Manchester on Friday the 5th of August. That's at Waterstones Deansgate. Then Edinburgh on August 6th. That's at the Stand 3. Um, Glasgow on August 8th. That's at the Oran Moor. Um, on August 9th, which is Tuesday, it's, it's Waterstones in Liverpool. On Wednesday, August 10th, it's Rise Records at Bristol. Um, on Thursday, the 11th of August, it's the Waterstones in Brighton. And then on Friday, the 12th of August, we're ending it in Stamford Lee Hope a Library, which is mere moments from my house and where I've lived my whole life. My mum has worked, started off working in Stamford Library and has worked in the libraries for 30-odd years, I think. I don't know how long, a, a long time, let's say. So that's incredibly exciting. All the all the ticket links and links to pre-order this are in a blog I've done at scroobiuspip.co.uk. So head there and you can get tickets and come along to these shows. I know a few of them have sold out already, but they're small venues. So get in there and and have a go. Um, also in that blog is, is links to pre-order the book if you can't come to one of the shows. But the London one, I want to tell you a few reasons to come to to the London one and again make no mistake I'm aware it's payday in a few days so um, this is perfectly placed but the London one August 3rd at the Leicester Square Theatre it's my birthday and um, I decided I wanted to, to spend it with you guys and we're doing it as I did last time at the Leicester Square Theatre where it's just I'll get 
all you guys to make a queue at the side of the stage if you want to come up and ask a question we'll probably do it in two halves so there might be a a break but also something i've noticed and heard is numerous people who've been on the podcast in the past are coming along to that show i mean it it hadn't occurred to me that partly because it's my birthday as well so they want to kind of come and hang out so what i'm going to do is i'm going to get some of them up on stage as well so it's going to be kind of a, a an audience questions and a distraction pieces all stars but the thing that's exciting about that as well is not only right technically the book comes out on august 4th so we're going to have books at this one so you're going to be able to buy the book a day early so number one you'll be able to be the first people to have the book and have it signed but number two none of them have agreed to it but all i'm saying is if there's some people in the crowd who've been at the podcast some of them might be in the book some might not be but you could probably get them to sign it as well so you could be the only so this is kind of the only place that you can get the distraction pieces book early signed by me and signed by numerous other people um so yeah i'm crazy excited about that um i'm sorry if i've rambled a bit much there but it's very exciting i'm just 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 making sure i've said everything i need to, to say on that it's all in the blog at scroobiuspip.co.uk. Check that out. Incidentally, I built scroobiuspip.co.uk with Squarespace, who have who have been one of the long-term sponsors. So a quick shout-out to them. Um, other things I want to talk to you about, upcoming podcasts. I'm gonna, I've got a really exciting one coming up that I wanted to pre, pre-hype pre t- to you guys. I think we're going to record it as two parts and do one part now and one part in, say, September. But it occurred to me it would be good to get my mate, tom coles on the podcast because tom has made all of the music videos since introduction with me um and the fact is introduction was made for a hundred quid and it's had something like three three million views now or something like that it's had a crazy amount of views and he's done every video since then with me and before introduction he'd never i made a music video i'd never done one on my own i'd always i'd worked with directors and all sorts of other stuff so I thought it'd be good to get on. And what we're going to do is we're going to start at introduction and then we're going to go through each video and give some insights into how we made it. Into Because again, the fact is we've done all of it on this kind of low budget, zero budget nature. And um, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting and a cool one for the fans of, of my music and, and music videos to kind of get that insight. Or just people who are into, you know, anything creative in this ever-developing digital world that you can do tons of stuff without spending tons of money. The fact is, on the last video we made, it looks like we had this expensive rig for doing these tracking shots and rolling shots. The fact is, we rented a wheelchair for £10 and strapped a load of torches to it and put Tom, the cameraman, in the wheelchair. And then that's how we we got it. So there's tons of stuff like that that we've done on all these different videos that we're going to... breakdown and tell you about so, so that'll be soon it's, it's not next week next week is the amazing james acaster who's one of my favorite comedians so check that out um <clears throat> other things i want to ramble about to you i posted some i've been talking a lot recently about online about some of my favorite film and tv and i thought i'll ram a little bit of in here N- number one this latest series of peaky blinders good lord the first episode i was like this is good is it starting to rest on its laurels that it's Peaky Blinders so people just praise it regardless because of the work they've done in the past to earn that? 
But there was a couple of episodes, man, that I think are some of the, the best bits of TV I've ever seen. And then straight off the the back of that, I finally caught up on on the Night Manager, which again, equally just so well written, so well acted, such an amazing ensemble cast. But a one that I posted about online recently was a, a, a film called Victoria, which we spoke about in the Izzy Sooty podcast, if you remember, and she'd just been to see it and was saying it was amazing. And I only got around to catching it um, a few weeks back. And damn, it's so good. Um, and it actually plays into what I was saying about me and Tom, because me and Tom on the music videos with Introduction, with Stunner, with No no Whimpers, with numerous ones, we do, we're, we're big fans of the one shot. So getting the whole video in one shot. And this film is a one shot. The whole film is in one shot. But that makes it sound pretentious or or, or poncy. It's not. It's so engaging and amazing. There's a, a film I saw years ago called Russian Ark, which was, was famous for being a one shot. And it's all right. It's it's kind of good. It's impressive. It's it's a it's a decent film made all the more impressive by the technique it's used. Victoria is a really really good film made exceptional by the fact they've done it in one shot. If it wasn't in one shot, it'd still be one of my films of the year. The fact that they've managed to pull it off in one shot, and particularly the time in in which they do it, so they're going from night to day. It, it just makes it, it one of the most impressive films I've ever seen. So I recommend you check that out. Um, I should probably wrap things up ish. I uh, shouldn't. I? Network stuff. I need to mention just uh, just before I go, the network is going crazy. We've had, as you listen to this, we've had a new Tuesday Night Jaw or se- several new Tuesday Night Jaws. Um, I'm back on Tuesday Night Jaw in this last one with Jim Smallman. And Tuesday Night Jaw is our wrestling podcast. And it's great. I love, originally it was going to be a once a month, just a round table, kind of discussing the previous WWE pay-per-view and kind of discussing wrestling in general. And Jim has started doing these extra ones. So it's almost every week and they're fantastic. I just, I can't get enough of them. He did a a, a Raw and Smackdown draft episode, which I can't recommend highly enough. Also, Say Why to Drugs is just going, it's blowing up. It's, I, I, swear it's going to be bigger than distraction pieces soon it's just getting so big so quick and say why to drugs is a really important podcast i'm proud of everything that we do on distraction pieces but man it's an important podcast it's with dr Susie gage and it's picking a different recreational drug each week and and just giving a breakdown of them or each episode it's not every week it's every few weeks and just and just giving a breakdown of them and it's not pro drugs it's not anti-drugs it's pro fact and anti-myth so the Three that have been out so far, I think, are marijuana, tobacco, and alcohol. The two more that are already recorded are ketamine and MDMA, but there's more being recorded as we speak. Um, we're going to be covering cocaine, LSD, all these other things. And on on these ones at the moment, I'm I'm the guest, so it's, it's Doctor Susie Gage. Again, we wanted it to be <laughs> effectively <laughs> someone very informed with an idiot that's why i was the perfect choice or not an idiot but someone who's not informed but is curious and open and not biased so i'm asking the questions hopefully that you guys will be wondering if Susie's getting too technical or too over your heads so yeah so that's great and also we've just launched the new elite uk podcast called stop and search with jason reed and that's going crazy as well the first episode was with robin Ince podcast royalty uh 
a Robin Ince, um, Dr. Susie Gage, and um, a, a Simon Oxenham. And they're great. Again, it's 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 in collaboration with Leap UK, which is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which is a load of judges and policemen, or ex-judges and ex-policemen and things like that, who are trying to bring our drug laws into modern times because they've been involved in this war on drugs and they've seen how ludicrous it is and how it's not working so yeah they're good they're worth checking out all on itunes and acast all on the distraction pieces network i'm gonna shut up now and let you listen to tom rosenthal episode 103 of the distraction pieces podcast This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. Well, I've started rolling now. Um, how are you? I'm joined by Tom Rosenthal. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're in um, in Channel Four. They've kindly lent us a room, which is is lovely of them. Thank you, Channel 4. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. How are you? Are you rushing around and busy and stressed, or are you well? I'm, I'm, I'm generally very well. I just, I thought today would be a good day to do a podcast sort of discussion. Yeah. Because I've just done loads of, like, press interviews for Friday Night Dinner this morning. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll be in the mood for, for talking about for stuff deeply. And actually what's happened is I feel like I've just talked You've myself talked into a stupor. And now I've got no words. All the words have run out. I mean, it's a good job that podcasts are such... It's a good job that this isn't a long and unedited podcast, because <laughs> that, that sounds like the worst situation to be to be in right now. And having not really eaten, how so you're trying to eat... You're eating healthy. Much food. I've got some grapes, I've got some melon, I've got some hula hoops. It's exciting. Hula hoops are the loudest one, though, so only going to crack them open is going really well. Yeah, yeah, a celebratory hula hoop. Exactly. You'll know... <laughs> oh, and you're pleased with a particular response as there'll be a, yeah. a rustling, <laughs> a cinema rustling. Um, I first became aware of you on Soccer AM, yes, I realised, and I was watching I like Soccer AM. I think it's great. I still think it's great. I think people underrate it a bit because people go, oh, I used to watch it or whatever else. But for not so much comedians, I guess, because there's panel shows and all sorts of other things, but for musicians, it's one of the last shows that you can go on to talk about your new record or or new stuff there's jules holland mm-hmm. but other than that there's not really any any music sh- shows is there and they are really good at bringing on comedians and and all sorts yeah i was a massive fan of soccer and growing up and i guess in retrospect you do actually watch it and you realize it i mean it, it's a mainstream show it's about football and it gets yeah. a big audience but then they do just bring in quite alternative people and quite alternative acts and completely as long as they can sort of string a sentence together about football sometimes they even can't yeah and exactly. uh, like when have americans on yeah. know nothing about <laughs> it's football like, it's just like ah just bring them on but well yeah when i first got on that i think it was sort of one of my major aims in life to go on soccer m and i've kind of envisioned it in my mind you know taking the shot and all that yeah. and the first time i went on it it was it was brilliant. I think. It was, I think people could tell it was just sort of a dream come true, and I, I was just kept exactly going. This is amazing. I think that's what excited me about it because it was exactly what I had, and it's why I went down well with the soccer M lot because I was yeah. like, I love this show. I've always, I watch this this show. I've always, I wanted to be on, and that excitement of like, I'm here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking nonsense. I'm having a laugh, and uh, <laughs> I've been on. I did that thing there, sort of much maligned comedian in the cupboard thing. Did you ever yeah, see that? that didn't work very well, did it? Well, Not specifically for you, but, but just for people I in think, general. If I'm honest, 
I think I was. I think I actually had an okay time in the cupboard. Yeah, because I had all these. I did a few like flip charts, and I had as many pre-prepared jokes as possible. So, whereas some people come out of the cupboard and do a minute of stand-up, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" Yeah, I just tried to bombard them with as many stupid wordplay puns on player names as I could until yeah. people were like, "Well, there's enough jokes there to sort of enjoy." It. And then I went back in my little hole. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure whoever had the idea of putting a comedian in a cupboard. But no, I mean to explain for anyone that doesn't know, they had a little <laughs> section, and that's the beauty of Stock Graham. I remember I was on there once with um, can't think of his actual name, but McLovin from from Super. Oh Bad. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's American, hasn't seen Stock Graham, and we got on really well because I was explaining everything to him because there is there's so much stuff that goes on that you're just like if you've watched it, you're like yeah, this is a regular segment. If you've not, you're like. Why is there a comedian in a... <laughs> one of the segments they had was just a comedian in a cupboard. Or Tubes. Tubes is a Tubes. mystery to anyone who hasn't seen... If you're an, yeah. a, Imagine being an American and being on a show and experiencing Tubes. Tubes for the first time in person. He's just an odd odd creature. But, <laughs> but yeah, the comedian in, in the cupboard, they basically had an idea where they'd have a comedian in a cupboard and they'd just throw over to him every now and then to just, just say... I, I don't know, like, was it topical or to get views and opinion or just for... Well, oh, we're gonna no, go I was just like, I'll oh, do some comedy. comedy then. That's not really how comedy works, is it? I was unfortunate. No. Well, get the bloke out for a laugh and then um, got rid of it because it's very difficult yeah. to come out of a, uh, a cupboard and be funny. People g- generally flocked. I remember they had a guy who did a lot of impressions of footballers and managers and he went down well, but it's like, well, you don't need him in a cupboard. You can just have a <laughs> the impression. Thing here, <laughs> What's working here is an impressionist yeah. who does football-based impressions. Good comedy, funny. good comedy. But what item of furniture can we cram it into to make it watchable? <laughs> it was quite bizarre. But you must have that a lot as a comedian then, because it's one of them jobs that, that famously, if you're on a night out and you say what you do to anyone, they're like, oh, oh yeah. come on in, make, make us laugh. Go yeah, on. Yeah, I've... Do something funny. I've been struggling with this my whole career, I suppose, what to answer when... Yeah. Because I, I, I guess I went for, I do comedy yeah. for a bit, but people don't like you. No. And then I said... Oh, do I'm comedy, a, I'm, oh, do I'm, you? I'm a writer, and yeah. then people just assume that you're failing miserably. Yeah. And you say you're Which, an actor. You know. and then, <laughs> so I don't know. It's just, I think I was just going to go, I'm in IT. I, I I hate the the thing of anything I like that, and it's it's similar in my area of entertainment where what I do I've I've done all right in, but I'm not super famous or super rich. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's that weird level of if you say oh, I'm a, a musician, and they're like, oh really? They kind of you have that urge to want to quantify it. You go well, you know, I've sold out this size, but again, you, I'm, I'm not the kind of person to do that. Or I've got a lot of followers on Twitter, but it's like because you do feel if you say it again, if you say I'm a writer, they're like. Oh, you're, oh, yeah. So I've written some stuff that's been made. I'm quite, you know, but no, you're a writer, right? I you? just don't know. There's no good way to answer it, really. Because no, the career you've chosen is itself the sort of egoistic career anyway, isn't it? So Truly, uh, and comedian in particular, it's that weird one where um, I think it was um, a Mitch Hedberg who, who had a great bit where he was saying, comedian is the only industry where you go, I'm a comedian. I go, all right, do you write? Like, can you write a TV show? Can you act? Yeah. Like, you don't have a guy who's a chef, and they go, you like, I'm a brilliant chef. It's like, oh, can you farm? Can you, <laughs> can you produce some, some food? It's like, no, I'm a chef. Like, it's a weird world where comedian, and I had Stuart Leon, and he was great, because he was saying he's realised his goal is to do what he's doing and 
till he dies. Yeah. There's yeah. not this, I'm a stand-up and then I hope to do this or I hope to do that. He's yeah. got to that point where he's like, no, this is what I do. This is, this is it. It's, nice, yeah, it's a weird nice way. to reach that point, wouldn't it? But, but you get to, you've kind of had success in all areas, in your acting, in your, in your stand-up, in, in, your, in, in your writing and everything. Um, let's kind of go back with the two things that we've touched upon. A soccer AM and a football and comedy, and they must have had huge right. parts in your upbringing. Being that your dad is 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 famous uh, football uh, commentator yeah. and, and and commentator Jim Rosenthal. I mean, I got indoctrinated into sport pretty young. Yeah, and uh, I guess I'm ultimately very very thankful for that because yeah. it gives me an incredible amount of joy and satisfaction. Yeah, and it is on on that sort of. I always empathise with religious people because personally I'm sort of agnostic, but I kind of go, I get it. Yeah. I get why you're so into this because generally when you were like one or two, someone around you was really, really into it. Yeah. It made you think that it was the most important thing. And so now, yeah, with, now with, I'm really, really into it and I realise it's irrational and it's nonsense and it's men running around in silk kicking balls into nets and it yeah. means nothing. But when you're in a big environment surrounded by lots of other people who feel the same way and have an involvement in a completely irrational thing occurring. It's so wonderful to be a part of and it's so beautiful and it's as close as I ever feel to society as a whole is when, you know, talking about football, like, I don't know, it's a bit base thing to bring it back to, but my tweets that get the biggest retweets will be a wry observation about a football game that's going on because it's got the most people who are involved in it. And so, and, and and hugely and passionately involved, and and that's what I think people who don't watch football don't understand is it's a beautiful way, particularly again in a society where, particularly in, in football for many years, men are men. Yeah, it's a manly thing. Football is somewhere where you're allowed to experience emotions, mm-hmm. like true extremes of emotions. I remember Millwall in the playoff final at Wembley when we scored against Scunthorpe. And we and it was an amazing goal, one of the best goals at Wembley ever. The emotion I felt then it genuinely fl- fl- flashed through my mind that I was like, I don't think I ever want to get married or have a child because I don't want to knock this <laughs> off the top of my happiest, most elated moments. And we ended up losing, and the, and the sadness experience then, and the genuine emotion yeah. felt then. But then you can go back to life after that. It's I don't know. I think it's a really good a positive thing there to have somewhere where you can experience these highs and lows of emotion mm-hmm. but it is still as you said it's still just a game yeah. it's still just a silly thing I'm not going to be in tears for weeks or for example the Ooh. season before last oh, when Millwall got relegated I, I was okay with that Yeah, and when we didn't when we got to the playoff final this year we didn't quite have it in us cool I'm still going to be a fan next season still going to keep going on it's weird I mean I don't want to get too deep yeah. too quickly but You're welcome to it's, it is like life yeah. in that it's meaningless yeah. and it's irrational and it's unfair and you have searing highs and searing lows and what you get out of it is how you react to those things yeah. so you seem to have found the ideal position which I hope I also have where you can you know, really feel the joy of yeah. the amazing goal, but you don't let 
the relegation ruin your life. Yeah. Uh, and that is just like living a life. I, I was going to say, I think that's being a Millwall fan. You, <laughs> you get used to a lot of, yeah, a lot of lows. Is it, when it, you know, I'm an Arsenal <laughs> fan and you just reassess. It's exactly like life as well. It's like yeah. where you are in the standings, you get very, very unhappy, very rich people. And you yeah. get very, very happy, very poor people. Yeah. Where you are in the standings doesn't matter. It's how you react to the ups and lows within that journey Completely. that defines how much joy you get out of your life. The football yeah. is good. And it's just, I know it's tempting for people who aren't into sport to dismiss it as nonsense yeah. but in the same way that I hope I'm empathetic towards people who are religious despite the fact that I'm not I, I, I just wish sometimes that they could show a little bit more empathy to people who are into sport because it's, it's not moronic yeah. it, is, it is life you know, and it's a, it's a way to tap, tap into the fundamental things and of again, being a human it's, being it's the misperceptions and misconceptions and the stuff that's highlighted and, and not to keep harping on about Millwall but Millwall are a prime example of that is we'll have seasons of really good stuff and then as soon as we have some crowd trouble again because of our history it'll be a typical yeah. Millwall do you know what I mean that, that, that's all the people who don't support Millwall are going to notice just mm. the yeah. the bad stuff they won't notice that a couple of seasons ago we didn't have a sponsor and we gave our sponsorship over to um, a men's a, a, test, a testicular cancer charity because Neil Harris our all time yeah, top yeah, goal yeah. scorer defeated testicular cancer is one of the most emotional moments in the club's history of, of, of my era and things like that and the fact that we've achieved we were one of the first to achieve the highest level in the kick racism out of football thing and again I would be the first to say we were one of the first to achieve the highest level because we were one of the ones that needed it <laughs> yeah. we had a big history of racism and problems it's like I'm happy to admit that but it's that thing <laughs> And only reason I mention it is it's going to be similar now. I've already heard on a few American podcasts who I've never heard talk about football. As soon as there's been yeah. a trouble with England and Russia in Europe, there've been football hooligans, all this kind of thing. It's like, it is, it is, it should be looked down upon. It should be discussed. It should be shamed. But football is a massive thing week in, week out in England. And we don't have hooligans and trouble every week at every game. Mm. So it's a shame when people outside of it just suddenly go, see, see, they're just animals. They're yeah. animals. It's... I mean, you look at us too. When you wouldn't you look at us and <laughs> go, diehard football fans, you're kind of... I've got a swastika tattoo on Or we're both skinny and white um, and, and, and not intimidating looking. I reckon we shave our heads, we can get by. <laughs> We'd get away with it, I'm yeah. sure. But, but yeah, it's an interesting one. It's that outside look. That, um, it's hard because it obviously be on, on public transport all, all you see is you know slightly intimidatory yobbish yeah. chanting and it's it's not nice so you no. can't advocate that but it's an expression of community and society which I don't get from anything else yeah and uh, I'm, I'm until my death I'll be a vehement d- defender of uh, professionalised sport fantastic well I mean you've touched a couple of times on about not being a religious and it's a weird thing it sounds strange to compare it to the female comedian debate debate right. or female comic is for some reason if you're female it gets listed and put at the front but mm-hmm. as a jewish comedian right you, you, again it's it's something i've read m- many times and in many places but you're not you don't particularly have any jokes about jewish stuff no you're not a religious person so How's that as a kind of odd one? Because well, again, it's something I guess you kind of, in many ways, you have to embrace because it's like you're not ashamed in any way or against. It, I mean, I do. It's so. It's really confusing. I I don't identify as Jewish. I mean, I'm, I'm I would say I'm not Jewish, right? right. But I got a Jewish face and a Jewish name. <laughs> my my nose yeah. is you know more Jewish than 
uh, Alan Sugar freeing a pig or whatever. Yeah. You, know? you, you don't <laughs> get is. much more Jewish <laughs> than my nose. Um, but like, so I've got Jewish blood on my dad's side, right? Yeah. But they haven't been practicing Jews for like three generations. My mum is completely uh, English, like completely whatever you go, Gentile. And it's a maternal system, so... Your mum's a Jew, you're a Jew, right? right? It doesn't really matter what your dad is. So I'm not Jewish in any way apart from in the eyes of the media, who yeah. every... I mean, I've just done these Friday Night Dinner questions and they, they go, oh, you're the only Jewish member of the cast. And, and uh, it's, not that I don't, it's not that I want to reject being a Jew uh, or Jewish. Um, I'm in a Jewish show, Friday Night Dinner, which I guess doesn't help in, I mean, you know, in yeah. terms of my perception as a Jewish yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. But all the other cast members are in a Jewish show and they're never seen as Jewish. Yeah. And I, I, it's, it's very difficult because I don't want to reject this. I don't want to be, I'm not, I'm not a Jew because I, I love the fact that I've been welcomed in and, and, and Jews are uh, kind of known for claiming people in the public eye as one of their own even if there's a debate but, but my, my dad way. would be in, 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 a, in a way in that a they want to embrace yeah, yeah. Uh, and my dad was always a bit more conscious of it I think because he grew up in a time where there was you know more I don't know what you call it persecution like he he, he got uh, bullied for being a Jew in a yeah. way that I never did yeah. and he gave me a middle name Smith which is my mum's maiden name which if I ever wanted to de-Jewify myself and call myself Tom Smith yeah. I could do. I didn't do that because I think Tom Smith sounds like uh, a very bland man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to go and listen to Tom Smith talk. He sounds like he makes it's ales that, or something. That appealing, uh, right. I love the name Rosenthal. It means Valley of Roses in German. And it's, yeah. well, it's a German-Jewish name, which is why I live here, because yeah. uh, they left. Yeah, uh, um, yeah understandable. So... It's a bit complex. Understandable is an understatement. There is an understandable. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So whether you know, and I, I try and talk about this a little bit in in my comedy, but it's so convoluted. <laughs> it's yeah. like just tr- try and be funny, and I definitely also do exhibit the classic um, uh, tropes or, or whatever you would associate with Jewish comedy. I, I'm sort of I speak first, and I'm quite nerdy, and I'm quite anxious. Yeah. And people are just looking at me going, how are you not Jewish? You know, yeah. Classic Jews. They, 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 there is there's a Jewish sense of humour. Like, what yeah. other... Yeah. You know, there's a Hindu sense of humour. Do you know what it's I mean? Bizarre, what is that? that? I, was, I remember early on, I, I got an awful lot of, 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 of claiming from many different... Um, sure. R- r- ...religions and heritage when we blew up. And I remember getting hit up by a magazine, I'm sure it was in Manchester, called J-Life. And again... J-Life, yeah. I'm up for press. Press is good. And they hit me up saying, we'd like to talk to you, like, we'd like to interview you. I was like, all right, that's, that sounds good. It's like, yeah, we want to discuss your um, your experiences as a Jewish performer. And I was like, right, I'm not... And I've not even got the the, the, no. the history of my family. Yeah. I've just, I've got, got the beard, beard and a bit of a nose too. Um, it's... <laughs> And I was like, well, and the beauty of their response. I love the idea of someone just going through pictures of people going, has he got, is that, yeah, there we go. I'm not doing any knows. more research than that. I'm not doing any more research, <laughs> just, just getting in touch, you'll do. Um, but the thing I loved about the warmth of their response, because I wrote back going, I'd love to do an interview, but I need to let you know I'm not Jewish. <laughs> yeah. And they hit back saying, oh, that's all good. Well, uh, we'll leave it. And then just said, do you know any Jews? <laughs> No, they're asking me to recommend others. Like, who can I, who can I pass them <laughs> yeah. on to? No, so he's good. I recommended DJ I, Yoda I, in the end. You know, <laughs> Incidentally, I, I was like, I do know a Jew. Thank you. <laughs> Here's one. I, I've had the same sort of thing. When people <laughs> ring me up from the Jewish Chronicle, and I do do the same thing. You know, I go, I'm not. 
I'm not actually Jewish, and they just yeah. go, well, you are. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah, you, 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 can, you can believe what you want. Precisely. Yeah, you're you around. can think you're not, but yeah. you definitely are. And, so, uh, go on. Well, no, I mean, it's, as, as you say, it's fine. I don't mind being... Any group that wants me is fine. I get me say, involved. It's, it's, it's one of them weird warps with it. It's not one I've ever felt weird about. When different, and again, I'll have it um, in parts of London. I'll get because of having a beard, kind of before beards got so popular, really, because sure. I've had a beard a long time. I would get really nice warm nods <laughs> and mumblings under the breath from people of all different religions, and I'd feel like I wanted to confess to them and say, yeah. I'm sorry, you, you, you sh- I don't deserve sorry. that warmth. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not part of this particular uh, group or gang kind of thing. So it's like I felt I felt awful for it. Um, we've talked about f- a, a football growing up. How, how? What was comedy's influence on your upbringing? How early were you into comedy? Were you always a, a make them laugh kid or or what? <sighs> I, th- I don't know whether what I was like as a kid. I think I think I was probably quite annoying and precocious and <laughs> tension seeking. I see. I uh, arranged a World Cup for, I think it was like my ninth birthday, at the Mag- Magnet Leisure Centre in Maidenhead. <laughs> and I picked all the teams and I did all the group stages and the whole tournament tree. And my team didn't get through the groups, so I just cancelled it. I just had a massive drop <laughs> and I walked out to the little restaurant uh, where goes. my cake was and I was like, now the tournament's over. And because it was my birthday, they had to... Give oh, the tournament up. That gives you an insight into the kind of mind. <laughs> it was, and a, but again, it's that kind of thing. It's right. Well, we need him to focus on something, or he's going to be a horrible tyrant or dictator. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was an only child, and I spent a lot of time on myself. And I guess I thought that the world should revolve around me, and so I kind of tried to make a career where that is, in some way, the case. Yeah. I, so when did you step into comedy? I, what was well, your I, I remember seeing Lee Evans at the Wembley Arena, and my dad taught me when I was about fifteen. I think you had to be eighteen to get in, yeah. and uh, that in itself was quite a subversive act, I suppose. But I remember yeah. just watching him and thinking he was absolutely amazing. People forget how huge he was for yeah. a minute. It was it was only a few years, it seems like. But when I was growing up, it was the same. And weirdly. He used to exercise in the park that was on my no walk way. to school. So we'd walk past and see, and see him in the park. Sweating, <laughs> as he does, but, but, but due to exercise rather than yeah. But he was huge, wasn't he? And one of the first to re-come, like, I think comedy had died, it felt like it had died down, or stand-up at least had died down a little bit. Yeah. He was one of the first that seemed to come back and go, no, this is a mainstream thing. Well, I wasn't a particularly cool kid or knowledgeable kid about culture or anything. Yeah. I mean, I just watched the Paramount comedy channel uh, too, too late, you know, after when my parents had gone to bed and I was yeah. waiting for some softcore pornography. Yeah. And uh, I managed to see shows like Spaced and Big Train at Big those Big times. Train. So I was hit by the mainstream love of someone like Lee Evans and I just so captivated by his ability to perform. And then, yeah, TV, slightly weirder TV shows. And my, my friend at school also gave me um, Jam, yeah. Chris Moyes' sketch. Jam was great. And the radio show originally it came from. Yeah, yeah, I listened to that. so weird and odd. And that was one of my favourite things in it ever was like Mark Heap being Mr. 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 Lizard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my favourite. I've got I my club think. night, We Are Lizards. And, Is that and, called and, it, of that? For ages, it, I'd, I'd post videos Mr. of that because it could oh. just when he's going, Miss, and he's going to c- c- oh. call his boss. He's like, I want to yeah, talk to your boss. Yeah. What's your boss name? So Another Mr. Lizard. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's such a weird sketch, but it's just... It's so yeah. weird, but for some reason, it's, I just find it one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I completely agree. And, uh, Mr. Lizard. Y- <laughs> yeah, but comedy... 
I, I don't know how into it I, I was really I just liked their stuff and I kind of I bumbled along at school did a, did a I did like some house drama I did the ones where we used to write our own plays and perform right. I went to a sort of semi-posh school we did public speaking as well yeah. I did public speaking competitions where we'd go like around the world sometimes went to like Canada and Cyprus oh, wow. and compete against all these like posh schools who... speaking about what though like, well there's like there was, it's, it also satisfied my sort of um, like for tournament based activity <laughs> because there was like nine different categories and you do, do like four um, so I think the ones I did was like was like newscast where you had mm. to get like a newspaper and in like four minutes write a no like in like 20 minutes write a newscast that was a four minute appraisal of the news brilliant in the guise of a certain radio station so it could be like Jazz FM or I mean it was weird wow. and then we did an impromptu one where you'd get a title and you'd have two minutes to write a five minute speech and the ones that I was really good at were just called after dinner speeches which were basically take a topic and you'd just be funny about it which is essentially yeah. stand up for posh little kids yeah yeah and, and then we do like readings and it was I mean it was a really peculiar thing to take it's part so in so bizarre because comedians and footballers tend to end their career with after dinner speeches <laughs> It's bizarre that you started your career yeah. with after dinner speaking. It's it quite Let's weird. Let's see where they all kind of end up. Let's start with yeah, that. Yeah, so I'm going to end as a really promising young comedian. <laughs> it's about the planet, like Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> That's bizarre. Uh, I love that. So how did you find your way into, from that into stand-up? I think basically I was at school and like people, you know, people told me I was I could do it, and I did with house public speaking where you do it in the whole school, and I would I, would, I won quite a lot of the you know just being funny, and so I got a kind of sense of people laughing and that it was something I could kind of do and also I had this only child upbringing like I was somehow important and should be listened to yeah and and I left school and there was no outlet for it and so uh, that's because TED Talks hadn't <laughs> been invented which is the, the platform for anyone who thinks they've got I've, I've got a real yeah. bugbear with TED Talks I've, I've turned down TED Talks four times now right because I've got nothing to say like, yeah. I don't feel I've got anything I need to do a speech on. Whereas when TED Talk started, it was this impressive thing of these really amazing, powerful things. And now there's just so many. Anyone it's can like do anyone that. who's like, How are you? the my people mouse. need to know my view on this. It's like, nah, just put it in a tweet, mate. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> a tweet. it's not a TED Talk, is it? Tweet Talk. That's a tweet. That's that, that, <laughs> I watched your TED Talk. My, my conclusion is yeah. that was a tweet. That was maybe a double tweet. <laughs> other than that, maybe a Facebook status, but what would you do a it. TED talk on if you had to do? I, would, I genuinely wouldn't know what to say. I'd, the only thing that's occurred to me recently is exactly this: the 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 overuse of TED talks and the and, and <laughs> that would be good. Just because I genuinely think it's a weird, subversive thing. And there was a time, there was a time when I was growing up, and you would have seen it too. That someone like Katie Price would have a book out in her twenties, a biography, and everyone would go. She's only twenty. How can you have a biography? Do you know what I mean? It was it was seen yeah. initially as a shock that someone would be have the audacity to think that their life is worth putting into a biography at such a, a young age. Whereas where social media has come through, and we've all become far more comfortable with the fact that the minute details of our day are worth documenting and sharing. Like I'm in this building, or I'm just on my lunch break mm-hmm. having a read. These things, in my opinion, <laughs> this because aren't important. <laughs> I like. My mum, I love my mum. I don't give a fuck what she's doing at this moment because she's at work. She's doing stuff. I don't need a Facebook update yeah. to let me know what she's doing. I'll catch up with her in a week or at the weekend and we'll talk about the important things rather than every detail. And I think yeah. that thing in social media has given us this weird belief that, again, all of us have something of great importance to say. Right. 
and it's weird from someone who's got a 90 minute or hour 90 minute podcast every week to, to say no you haven't but, but, do you know what I mean I feel the excitement of the podcast is the guests and what they've got to say but yeah. I don't know if I was to do a, pod, a TED talk it'd be on exactly that of the overexposure of TED talks and the potential that we haven't got anything to receptive say receptive so the audience they probably be. won't be asking me again <laughs> I probably won't get another invite I wonder if I'd present it as something else and then when I get there just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just be a maverick have way. slides prepared that, could, dickheads, that could be read either way <laughs> yeah. so it's going to be one thing honestly I like it so, anyway um, so yeah it was kind of a public speaking thing that, that got you into because one of the things when doing some research I noticed which was quite unusual was you won a lot of awards as best student comedian which I right. thought was quite an unusual I'd never really known of that as this big yeah. important category but you seem to thing. blow up as a student um, a comedian how was that so that must have been coming kind well, of soon off of the back of that right it, it must have been soon yeah, after yeah, that yeah. Your- it, it, so I spent three years at university and again I just love tournaments yeah. like I love I just love it I'm, the Euros are going on at the moment I had a World Cup for my birthday student com- comedy competitions are just tournaments they were mm. like little they were you know legs and semi-finals and then and then a final and 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 for some reason that really tapped into my way of approaching comedy i i I really wanted to win the competitions yeah and it's not the most artistic or venerable reason to get into the art of self-expression however it made me get good and it gave me a platform by which i could measure my progress i I, i've never been a, a comedian who who gigs as much as he should you know right. I got, I'm, I'm not one of these who do two or three gigs in a night uh, I've always liked um, the way of organising my performances as um, measurable goals so Edinburgh is perfect because yeah. I can work really really hard and I know I've done a show and the show will be finished at that point yeah. I, 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 for some reason I'm, I'm goal orientated in, in, in a way that I'm not very good at just constantly doing it and getting slowly better so the competitions were perfect for me because they were like a real aim and I knew that I had to hone a seven minute set for that day and then I would really prepare for it I'd warm up for it like the players would warm up for the Euros with you know three rubbish fixtures that don't mean as much and I don't know it just it just suited my approach so the reason I did well in those competitions is because I I think I had a much more competitive approach than other comedians who were probably doing it in a better way where they were just treating them as gigs and 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 just trying to enjoy themselves there's there's two really interesting things that I want to pick up on number one is the tournament setup is a different art form in many ways it's the same with spoken word or or freestyle rap kind of thing where you can win a rap battle as not the best rapper you just have the best punchlines and the best those best moments that yeah. the crassest thing. So a comedian could get up in his seven minutes and do one amazing seven-minute build that gets to this point that's, that's artistic and beautiful, and the next comedian could get up and have a punchline every, yeah. every, every, every 30 seconds and steal the show completely. Now... It's two different art forms. And I mean, comedy shouldn't be a competition. You know, I've, I've right. since learned this. Yeah. It's, it's silly that we have comedy competitions, but yeah. they're great for the industry and yeah. they're great for people who are making their way in the industry just to go, to make a bit of an impact. Um, and it's, it's cutthroat. You know, it's, it's, it's very much you're living and dying. Oh, it in is. That moment. If, There's no, oh, that didn't work. Or this is like, no, you've lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not, oh, that was all right. I think they enjoyed it. It's and, just not that laugh out loud stuff. I mean, you know, the fine of one of these competitions is where the person saw me who, who put me up for the audition for Friday night dinner. And, yeah. and it, it, 
it's scary to think of it, and that's what's going through your mind before you do these competitions. But yeah. it's, it's what happens. Yeah, completely. People do well in that, and they'll get signed, and then they will become, you know, whatever Rob Beckett or Joe Lightsey yeah. or these people yeah. who I've been in competitions with who've been picked, and then they've gone really well. Yeah. And, I'm sort of obviously beyond that kind of method of approaching it now because I feel like I'm getting into the part of my career where I want to just do be a good artist and do good shows as opposed to trying to prove myself but it's weird especially the drive at the start of your career to prove yourself is so all-encompassing yeah Uh, and then I feel like I've maybe got there a little bit before my time because I've had this TV success and so now I feel like I've got a I've proved myself before I've, I've kind of got the skills to do so yeah. I've not quite caught up I don't think the shows that I make are going to be good enough to actually necessarily match up to the amount that I've proved myself now if you see what I'm saying right yeah, yeah. No, I guess, <laughs> it's, I guess it's, it's, it's interesting and hearing your, your view on Edinburgh was another thing that, that fascinated me because I got that from your show I came to see your show and I regretted it because I came to see it before my first Edinburgh show I saw your show and Brett Goldstein's show yeah, yeah, and both of you just had these complete sh- shows. And Edinburgh's interesting. A lot of comedians would go up with half an idea and develop it over that month because yeah. you're doing it every night. But it felt that you two had turned up with, here's the show I'm going to be doing, almost w- word for word yeah. for the next 30 nights. And that scared the life out of me because mine, although I'd crafted it, it felt like I had, uh, it felt more of a gig than a show. And again, I honed it and I, I went home th- th- that very night, which was, the, the night before my first one and tightened up the segments in between each spoken word piece and things like that sure, to turn sure, it into yeah. here's what it's going to be rather than talking this gap about this and then do this poem it's like no but she, I mean tighten this. Your, your, your show was better I mean and, and it was better for numerous reasons um, but I think one of them is, is that you know I, I, the way I approach performing live is, is not the way that the best shows are made yeah. Uh, it should be a live experience. And almost what I try to do is take out the live element by essentially doing it like an actor. You, you know? see, I like that. And I, th- I, th- I think, again, there's, there's, there's different places to all of it. And it's a weird comparison now, but one of the best live bands I've ever seen was a, a Young Fathers. And I saw them supporting Run the Jewels. And they were amazing because I'm in my gigs, I've always had a lot of crowd interaction, a lot of banter, a lot of freedom. They did their gig as if they were in a practice room, but going really hard. It's like they didn't acknowledge the crowd once, but it was such a polished and perfect thing. And it's what I kind of felt with your show. Not that you didn't acknowledge the crowd, but it felt that you could have done that full hour in an empty room if you needed to. That's completely true, and I do do that. Exactly. (laughs) Whereas there's a lot of shows, if they did it in an empty room, it'd be 30 minutes or 45 minutes but they need that crowd for bouncing back and forth and all these things. So. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference when, you know, in between using crowd as filler, but, but also just the, the fact that the crowd is there, it, it, that's the, the moments often that people remember as the best bit. But yeah. you, you need the material, but it's when something unique happens in the room in that moment as a live event that yeah, won't sure. have happened to any other crowd. And, and I'm not good at achieving that because I, I, I'm scared of it. I don't like it. I don't like it. You know, I like doing my bit. And that's something that I have to get over, I think, really. Um, you have to kind of have more faith in yourself as a performer and as someone who is kind of funny to, to you know, give give yourself over to the live experience, basically. Yeah. So I hope, hope that will come with experience. Yeah. Um, it's, ex- it's exciting. I mean, I'll, I want to talk about what's to come, but we are in this, this room for a limited amount of time. So I want to make sure... I reckon we can. 
I mean, we'll keep going, but I just want to make sure we get in now a Friday night dinner because, again, it was having seen you on on Soccer AM and having seen a bit of your stand-up, it was the first thing I saw saw you acting in and it was a big deal, that show. It was the first thing Simon Bird had done after The In-Betweeners, I believe. So there was... And The In-Betweeners had been a huge thing for Channel 4 and it was, was very different from that. And from the first episode, for me, it just hit the target completely it was so it was it's it sounds like a sick of a fan it thing to say for it was so channel four because it was just this unique and odd thing and yeah so how did it come about and how is it to work on and yeah well, we've, i mean this is what i've been sort of talking about all morning but yeah, it doesn't make yeah, it any less true is switching is, to morning is, is, is the idea that it it, the guy who writes it, Robert, is a very weird man. I don't know whether he ever saw Look Around You. He yes. made it. Uh, yeah, he, with, so, with Peter Serafinovich yeah. and, and James Serafinovich as well. He, yeah, yeah, he's mad. <laughs> but um, he wanted to make a, a show that people, you know, that's for the mainstream audience, basically. So it, Friday Night Dinner is a family sitcom, but it, it is um, quite y- uniquely weird in that it's. It, it kind of taps into the the strange idiosyncrasies that his family in particular have. But the fact that his family has idiosyncrasies is kind of applicable to all families. Yeah. So yeah. so once people have tuned into the weird lexicon and the weird relationships that the Goodman family have, they kind of see their own family in it, yeah. even if they're doing very, very different stuff. So yeah. it kind of, as you say, it's a perfect show for Channel 4 in that it marries, you know, weird, like quite cool odd comedy with just a family set that's what struck me as strange because when you've got characters i like the dad who's just so odd and there's so much weird and the neighbor and all sorts of stuff there's so much weird stuff going on yet somehow you do watch it and it's incredibly relatable like it it shouldn't be relatable you should go well well these are obviously ludicrous it doesn't seem that weird does it when you're watching it it's just this feels just like family, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's kind of why it's done as as well as it has really. It doesn't yeah. feel bland, no. but it doesn't feel mental either. The, the competition between, or the, the the natural feeling competition between you and Simon as brothers again, it's just so real and relatable. Yeah, we, and hearing your your general love of competition, <laughs> yeah, he's the it's, same. It's he's more clear now, but it's just uh, we just we constantly are playing ridiculous, like silly games on set. Yeah. We just roll a ball of tape up and play, you know, tape golf or yeah. tape tennis take basketball I mean genuinely we just spend all of our time doing yeah. that and we break stuff regularly we just break stuff and someone else has to go and clear it up and we apologise and then we yeah. just keep playing <laughs> so, so how's it been though that it's it's been it's been this success because again it is as particularly I mean I'd say particularly with Channel 4 is they take a lot of risks but that means a lot of stuff ends up oh, by the wayside I was, I was raving recently about Aliens which yeah, was on Channel 4 yeah, and yeah. that's just I've just, just found out it's not getting a second series I thought that was amazing. I thought it was one of the, the, the best things yeah. I've seen in ages. So, but again, it was a risky thing. And the fact is, it's, if the viewing it's... figures aren't there, that's the world we live in. So it's this real weird area. So how was it to be aware that you were taking... Or, or what was the point where it felt, right, this is work? Because initially you think, oh, I've got the gig. I'm in it. This is no, great. No. But then there's still that risk of, is it going to be shit? And then you make it and it's good. It's good, but is anyone going to care? And then people care and it gets yeah, a second series. Right. Is there a point a, where you go, right, this is cool now? I, I feel like <laughs> before this series is when that happened. Yeah. I mean, for some reason, everyone 
just seemed so much more relaxed and everyone knew exactly what they were doing and the, in, the interactions between the characters and it, it felt like all, a lot of the neurosis obviously there are always lots of neurosis yeah. but a lot of it had gone I mean for the first series for me because I because also in the rehearsal period so there was a taster take right yeah. taster tape which given to E4 which is right. just like a little 15 minute clip of what the show could be like which I auditioned for didn't get in oh wow right? and then they, made, they were like we'll have a pilot but we're going to look at that role again so then I auditioned for that and then I got in the pilot yeah. Right. And then we're making the pilot, someone else got booted out. Right? So Damn. for the whole for the first series I just constantly think I was gonna get booted out. Um, yeah. It's only about four weeks in that I was like, Well they've now filmed so much that to get rid of me would be such a financial burden on them that they're yeah. just gonna keep yeah. me now. Yeah. And and so it was making it was constant neurosis and then obviously when it comes out, it's quite exciting to be in a TV show, but it's the same thing. Everyone you know, the Brit Britain wants everything to fail, don't they? And yeah. so uh and it, then it got a very good audience um, and the second one went down quite well but it was on a Sunday night so it, right. it, it kind of affected audiences because of where it was placed rather than the show itself yeah I mean this is a sort of really boring long-winded way around but essentially there's neuroses at every point as yeah. you say and, yeah. un- and until That's this like series where I feel like now it actually is in the sort of it's in the, the national psyche of you know comedy fans Com- comedy people know again, about it and like it well not everyone is- likes it but you know the fact is now, and, and, and the nature of how uh, intake of TV has gone, the, the fact is now you've got a back catalogue and people can binge if they want to. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can go back on 4OD and these kind of things and just and get through it's stuff. It's really and, nice. And that, jump in it? stuff. That really, it, 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 it's, 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 it's what I knew when I started podcasts. I was surprised at the success we had early on because in my mind I was like, you need a back catalogue because people need to be able to go, I like that, I'll yeah. download this 10. Do you know yeah, what I mean? You yeah, can't just yeah. go, here's my podcast, there'll be another one in a week. Because the, the nature of podcasts is you consume and consume mm-hmm. and consume. And mm-hmm. It's similar with this. So to, to get, to take a TV show to that point, it must be now, right, as you said, now we can relax and, and make it what it needs to be rather than panicking about everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. No, I mean, it's, it's everyone else's... Uh, talent and skill that has, has taken to this point I've got absolutely no idea how to make a, a, a show as, as sort of uh, successful as Friday Night Dinner's been but the channel have really supported it I yeah. think they supported it a lot because as you said Simon and Tamsin were in it who have already been in big successes yeah, on the channel so their faces that and Mark Keep mainly Tamsin and Simon because they're their faces that are already attached to big successful mainstream shows so if there was a slight wobble in audience or a slight wobble in reaction somewhere the channel were always yeah. behind it that's great that's handy and you can and, and, and the, the show as well I think does quite consistently deliver in terms of episodes yeah. there's, there's not too many failures or dud episodes that people are watching go oh, this is yeah. really bad uh, but it's just to do with people working very very hard and me benefiting from it but not not really working that hard it's, it's <laughs> what's great is Channel 4 will take these these a, a, a risks not to talk about stuff that is nothing to do with you but um Chewing gum recently was another oh, I one love that's that show, yeah, cleaning yeah, up, yeah. and it was just fantastic. It's so odd. I, I saw yeah. it winning a lot of awards. I was like, oh, "What is this?" And I watched all of them. Yeah. I think on Friday in like in, in two days, and was like, "I've never seen a show like it." But it's something that, again, five ten years ago, it might not have been able to take a risk on it, but because of the on demand nature I mean, I, of stuff, the fact that you can just catch it when you want, they, because they were filming Aliens when we were filming Plebs, yeah, and. So I hung out with Michael Socco and yeah. Michaela Cole. I spent the whole 
and that sounds wrong I was going to say I spent the whole last night I was there with her which I did but it wasn't anyway yeah. uh, uh, and she's just an ama- she's an amazing human being and it's she's just going to be huge she's so she's, just... she's like the, you know the reasons like I was saying that I was I got into comedy to like win competitions yeah. and stuff she is the complete polar opposite of someone who just needs to tell stories and wants yeah. to improve other people's lives with her stories and it, it's she's very very inspirational human being and I look forward to seeing what else she well, makes that's perfect we've got people uh, getting shunted out so we're gonna four. yeah we're gonna tidy up and empty oh dear, exit so the room no it's fine um, also do want to give a quick shout out as you mentioned to plebs there because I love that as well and Tom Davis was oh, on the yeah, podcast yeah, and we raved about it there. to him talk about that it was, was fantastic nice. but I, Thank you very much for coming on. Um, Thanks, I'm really sorry about curtailing it like this. It's what annoying. are the PR details you're meant to say about Saturday night or Friday night dinner? Saturday oh, night man, dinner that's out in six weeks or whatever. I don't know when this podcast goes up. It'll probably be, be in two weeks, so it's, it's a yeah. month away. Friday night dinner, Channel 4 coming up. That's it. And where can people keep up with your stuff? Oh, I'm, on, I'm at Rosen Tweets on the Twitter. At Rosen Tweets, <laughs> there he is. You know, just say hello if you want. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you very much, sir. There we go. That was the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 103, with the one and only Mr. Tom Rosenthal. Um, absolutely loved having him on. He's a lovely guy. It's a shame it had to be a bit rushed. It's not his fault. It's not my fault. It's just the the lay of the land and the way of the world there. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in. Please subscribe, etc., etc. I will also mention at the end here the blog. I, I know I did a long intro and you'll forget a lot of it, but the main thing is the blog at scroobiuspip.co.uk. Please come along to, to some of these shows, particularly the London one on my birthday. Come and share my birthday with me. Yeah, that's all I want to say. I'll see you n- next week when we've got James Acaster. See you in a bit. <laughs>